Well, it's certainly been a tremendous blessing, and I know that you would all share the sentiment that it has been an amazing blessing of God to be a part of a church where God has put the man and his wife that he would have to be here for so long. And it's just been, it's, it's a tremendous amount of learning. It's been a tremendous blessing to be a part. And we're looking forward to what God is going to continue to do uh, over these next times until the Lord comes back. Well, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Just to be, I think sometimes the, the biggest blessing would be to be sitting in a church service. Just to be sitting right here fellowshipping. And then all of a sudden, we're up fellowshipping with the Lord. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? I don't know how much of a testimony that would be to everybody outside because they wouldn't see it happen, but that's okay because we'd never come out of the church. Maybe that'd be all right too. That'd be all right. Anyway, uh, take your Bibles this afternoon. Let's open our Bibles to uh, do the Gospel of Mark. We are back into the Gospel of Mark starting at chapter number 13 today. Hallelujah, we're out of chapter 12. Well, maybe not. <laughs> because our text, well, our text today, this afternoon is really going to be quite limited in terms of uh, how many new verses we read because today's message is, well, I'll tell you in just a minute, but we're really only going to read the first two verses in chapter 13 today as our new text. However, as a matter of context, when we read these verses, you'll, I, I think you'll understand, but as a matter of context and Given that we were, well, let's see, how long did chapter 12 take us? Uh, it was several weeks, nigh unto a couple of months, as a matter of fact, uh, that we were in chapter 12. Um, whether it was due to the holidays or doc, Dr. Rosado coming and uh, had a few things going on that way. But I think it's important that for the message today uh, to add as a, as a precursor to the next section of text, a, I'm going to call it a synoptic review. Boy, that's a fancy word, a synoptic review. What does that mean? Uh, well, it's kind of a summary review of chapter 12. And why do I want to do that? Well, because Jesus was in the temple teaching through all of that chapter. And you may recall that Jesus had dealt with several topics and questions uh, during that particular time in the temple. Now, as we look back briefly at these uh, topics today, I think that it, it helps us to kind of recenter and, and focus our minds and our hearts uh, really on what I believe will be uh, some of the implications of our next several studies as we as we move into and continue our journey uh, through this gospel record. Now, we would do well, I do believe, by a matter of introduction, we would do well to keep in mind that much of what Jesus was teaching had direct relevance to the condition of the Jewish temple and how it was being led by the religious leaders of the day. And then as we consider the whole counsel of the gospel, as we consider what we know to be all of the word of God and recognize that God is still the same God that he was when this was penned. He is still on the throne of eternity. And when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ, while he was crucified, 
was also raised up from the dead to atone for the sins of all who will believe and trust in Christ for eternal salvation, we then believe and we know through faith that God has preserved his word, all of his word, so that we, whether we be Jew or Gentile even this day, we alike can search and study the scriptures so that we can also show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing his word of truth. And so we also find, given those truths, we also find that even these words that were penned and recorded that had so much to do with the Jewish temple and the religious leaders of the day, we find an application in our own lives even today. So let's read then just our brief text, and we'll pray here in a moment, and, and pray with me when we do, that the Holy Spirit of God will, will help all of us, will open all of our understanding and, and help each of us to see what God knows we need, because I believe that God knows what I need, and I believe that God knows what you need from his word today. So let's read Mark chapter 13, if you found your place there already, just the first two verses. The Bible here says, And as he, that is Jesus, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's our text. That's the sum of our text today. Now it may not seem like that's a substantial text from which we might be able to develop a whole and entire sermon, though I do believe, and I know a great many of you also believe, that every word that God has preserved, every thought, every phrase, every commandment and principle is more than substantial in and of and standing by themselves. So as we allow the Holy Spirit to connect these pieces in our hearts and minds today, as we kind of review a little bit, and as we look forward into this message, the result becomes so much more important than we may think at first. Ephesians 3 tells us in verses 20 and 21 that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And it tells us that God, it is God to, that is the one to get all the glory in the church by Jesus Christ. So two main areas of our study today, and then we'll pray. We're going to look at a topical review from chapter 12. See, I, I told you we weren't quite out of chapter 12 yet. We'll just look at a topical review very briefly. And then, secondly, today we're going to look at the tragic reality. A tragic reality. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we look to your word this afternoon, Father, there's so much that, Lord, you have taught us already. And yet, Lord, there is so much more that we need to learn. Lord, you are not finished with us. We are still here. We are still breathing by your grace and by your hand. Because, Lord, you do have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And it is not until you are finished with us that you will bring us home. And so, Father, won't you guide and direct us today, Lord, as we look to your word. Lord, help us. Open our understanding. Lord, open our hearts and help us to receive exactly what you know each one of us needs from you today. Lord, may it be the Holy Spirit of God that speaks. Fill each and every one of us to be able to receive from your word. 
And Lord, may your will be accomplished. We do pray for those that are not able to be here, and we think of those that may have had to leave, whether they're traveling or going home not feeling well. We just pray, God, that you would keep them safe. Lord, that your will is accomplished throughout this afternoon. Lord, be with those that have joined us online as well. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit bless each and every one through your word today. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Well, last week, of course, we had the afternoon service, and for those that were online, most, most of the time, we did not have a live stream service because we were downstairs fellowshipping and having a great time. And I did present a brief <laughs> devotional last week, and they kept telling me, keep it short. I said, okay, fine, I'll do my best to keep it short. Be careful what you wish for, because in a Baptist church, when the one who's preaching has to keep it short, then when they come back the next time, they're going to make up for it. So, <laughs> we may be here for a minute or two today, but that's okay. I believe that it's needful, and I believe that God will accomplish his will. It's not like, you know, 15 pages, but it's close. Um, but we've already read our text for today. And it is from that text that I actually titled today's message. So for those that are taking notes... I've titled today's message, When Jesus Went Out. When Jesus Went Out. In just a little while, I trust you'll understand why the second part of our study today centers around a tragic reality, and we'll get there in just a moment. But first, let's be reminded, if you will, of the broad scope of topics that Jesus taught while he was in the temple. As I was looking back and I was working on this message, I, I kind of found, as I was reviewing these topics, I find, kind of found a, a wonderful progression of teaching, if you will, that is really quite a, uh, quite a metaphor for the process of learning that we go through from the time that Jesus enters this temple and your temple until he takes us home. There's a, a process of learning that, that, that just takes place as, as Christ our Savior teaches and, and opens our understanding throughout our, our maturing and our growing in the Lord. So there's primarily, in chapter 12, we're not going to read the whole, eh, relax, we're not going to read the whole chapter again. I'm not going to go through all the you know, points that I did over the last couple of months, but there are primarily seven main areas on which Jesus taught as he spake in parables from the previous chapter. Now remember that Jesus was responding to and he was teaching mainly those who may have been religious as many of those leaders among the Jewish religion but most were probably not saved. Even the religious leaders the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders Evidently, from what we read in Scripture, they had a religion about them. But I don't believe that they truly believed all of God's word. Because had they believed, they would have recognized Christ as the promised Messiah. But they rejected that. So were they saved? That's not for me to really know. But we do know that there were some problems. They did not believe in God as a matter of faith. They certainly did not see Christ as the promised Messiah. So as Jesus was teaching, he was teaching parables. Why? Because parables were a means by which truth could be taught 
And those for whom the exhortation and sometimes the rebuke in that truth, those to whom it was intended would have their understanding opened, while others would simply learn a truth principle. Hence using parables. Well, that was a, that was a great parable. Boy, that's some, that's some truth he's teaching right there. But those, if you remember, the Pharisees at one point, oh boy, Jesus began uh, teaching with the parable of the, the field owner and the wicked husbandman. You remember that from the first part of chapter 12. The owner of the field, of course, planted a vineyard and employed men to look after, to tend, to keep, and then to reap the harvest on the owner's behalf. Well, when the master sent several servants to collect the harvest, some of those servants were beaten, sent away. Some of those servants were killed several times, many times. The same outcome would happen until the owner, the master of the field, said, I'll send my only son. Surely they will respect him. Well, we know how that worked out. Now, while Jesus had not yet been crucified, the Bible tells us that in that first part of chapter 12, the Bible tells us that they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. You see, that's the chief priests and the elders. They understood. He spoke in parables. He didn't, he didn't name himself as the owner. He didn't name himself as the son of God. He didn't name God as the owner of the vineyard. But those who were convicted by it knew. The truth gets through when it has to. They knew that he had spoken the parable against them. That is, the chief priests and the elders knew. You see, this was a lesson to be learned about the ill handling of that which belongs to the master. It's a reminder to us that our entire life belongs to God and that we best heed what God says about living this life that belongs to him. Paul wrote, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And what's the phrase? Ye are not your own. We belong to God. Also, in that same chapter, he wrote, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, later on in that verse, he says, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So for those to say that my life is my own and I'll live my life the way I want to live it, oh boy, oh boy, there's some misunderstanding. Our life is not our own, friends. We belong to God. Our life belongs to God. The second topic that Jesus taught on, starting in verse number 13 of that chapter, Jesus taught that we have due responsibilities in this life when he stated, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, God has put us on this earth in which he has also established rulers and governments. And whether or not we like who may occupy one of those positions or offices, we are to abide by the laws of the land insofar as those laws are not in direct contradiction to the laws and the principles of God. Thirdly, see, I told you it's going to be brief. We're going to run through chapter 12 real quickly here. Thirdly, Jesus taught regarding earthly relationships, specifically husbands and wives, but more, more so than that. He taught about earthly relationships and what changes 
when life on this earth is over. First, he said, there are no marriages in the resurrection. There are no marriages in eternity. Rather, those who are redeemed will become, the Bible tells us, as the angels are. Well, what are the angels? Well, they are ministers unto God. The only concern that we'll have will be to worship and to minister as God leads us. And to minister and to worship unto God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our only concern when we get to heaven. Not, boy, I wonder if my wife is coming up here. I wonder if she's going to recognize me. I wonder if we're going to recognize that guy that I led to the Lord 17 years ago. I wonder if I'm going to recognize people that I knew when I was... I don't believe we're going to have that kind of a concern. Perhaps because the Bible tells us we will know even as we are known. Therefore, we'll know as much as we could possibly, not even imagine, but we'll know. Oh yeah, we'll know who folks are. But it won't be our concern as to whether or not we're still married or still considered married. That's my wife or not. Because our biggest concern will be to be like the angels who do nothing but sing holy, holy, holy is the lamb who's worthy to be slain. So first he said there's no marriages. More importantly though, in that same topic, the lesson was that we must not err in our understanding of the scriptures. Rather, we must know the scriptures, he says, and the power of the living God, who is forever the God of the living. You see, the Jews there in the temple thought, well, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God is the God of the dead, not the God of the living. No, because he says God is not God was. God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. God is the God of the living because there is an eternity where we will go. The matter of importance is where will we go for that eternity? That's the question we face in this life. Will we accept Christ as our Savior and live in heaven? Or will we reject Christ as our Savior and suffer eternity in that place called hell? Either way, we are living forever, folks. Sort of. Our spirit will live on for eternity. Fourthly, starting in verse number 28, Jesus taught that all of the commandments of all of the commandments of God, the greatest and primary commandment, the first commandment, as it says in the Word of God, is to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and with all our strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And secondly, he said, is like unto the first. And that is to love thy neighbor as thyself. It's just as important, not more important, but it is just as important, like unto the first, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of our strength. For in keeping these commandments, these first and second commandments, all the law of God is fulfilled. Jesus said, on these two commandments in Matthew, hang all the law and the prophets. So as we fulfill those two commandments, the very fulfilling of those commandments means that we're obeying the gamut, all of the commandments of God. Because if we're not going to love our neighbor, we're not going to serve our neighbor then their needs more important than our needs. If we're not going to love God and follow all of his commands, well, then we've broken one of those first two commandments, one of those two greatest commandments. 
So he says, on, all, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Those are the most important. Fifthly, starting in verse number 35, Jesus addressed whether Christ of God was merely the seed of David limited to his humanity. He addressed that whole argument. And by addressing that, he said, if he was, then how was it that David himself called him Lord? Hmm. So he addressed who Christ was, both humanly speaking and spiritually speaking. Sixthly, Jesus warned to beware of these religious zealots, the scribes. Beware of them because of their desire for self-promotion, self-exaltation, and ad, and um, ad, uh, yeah, okay. I'm completely at a loss for that word. So ambition, that was it, thank you. Self-ambition. Beware of them because of the self-promotion and their false means of worship. What do you mean their false means of worship? Well, if you read the account, their false means of worship was that they love to go in long robes. They love the long salutations in the markets. And they love to pray long prayers for everyone to hear just how spiritual they were. That wasn't true worship. They were false means of worship with their pretentious prayers. And making sure, the Bible tells us, that they were sitting in the chief seats in the synagogues. Making sure that people knew that they were the religious leaders of the day. That's not true worship. He says, beware of those kinds of folks. And then the seventh area of teaching followed right along with that in the end of chapter 12 and verse 41 where Jesus taught his own disciples that what God desired to see as the basis of our worship was whether we will worship starting with the tithes and offerings by giving God a part of what is left over from our abundance? Or will we give to God first and then trust God to fill in the rest? It's a basis of our worship. Even if it is of great personal sacrifice, will we trust that God will provide for our needs as he promised that he would? Do we believe God? Or do we say, no, you know what, God, I, I, I believe you this much, but i, I got to take care of my bills, and then I'll give you whatever I can out of what's left. The challenge there, of course, is to whether we give so that others marvel at us. Wow, look at how much they gave. Because as he was sitting there across from the treasury, as, as he was teaching his disciples, he saw that many were putting in much. So are we giving so that others marvel at how much do we give? Or are we giving so that God is glorified and we don't make any kind of a spectacle or a commotion about it? We simply give to God. That was kind of the lesson. Certainly, a broad range of areas, a broad scope of areas of life that Jesus was teaching while he was in the temple. Areas that we must and we do consider in our lifetime. Now, perhaps, maybe we even struggle a little bit as we grow in grace. Maybe we have questions from time to time about some of these topics, and we need the mind of the Lord. We need to search the Scripture and find out what God has said about these areas. But as we do grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you see, that's a great pattern of the things that Jesus can answer. For the Word of God is 
the final authority in all matters of life and faith. Is it not? Amen. Amen. So that's a quick review. I hope you kept up because now it's really important to understand all of those things as we get into our second point, the tragic reality. Now it is hard to know who this disciple might have been. If we look once again, chapter 13 and verse 1. Jesus had been teaching all this time in the temple, and the verse says, As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. With an exclamation point. Man, he just marveled at the beauty and the splendor and the glory of the temple building. It's impossible to know whether this disciple was with Jesus in the temple or whether he was outside waiting. Though we would surmise that he was there and he was listening. That being said, and given all that we just reviewed that Jesus was teaching while he was there, one has to wonder if this disciple had truly heard what Jesus was teaching or was he simply distracted by, wow, look at the temple. Boy, is that, what did he say? I don't know, but look at the temple. Wow, what a beautiful place this is. Perhaps if he did hear all that Jesus was saying, and maybe he was there even at the end when he's talking about those that were giving so much into the treasury, perhaps he was offering his own perspective on what Jesus had just taught about offerings and worship and defending that, you know, great things can be done when people give as much as they can and just as many had done so. Because we just saw that. Yeah, you're right. Truly, much can be done when there is such great generosity. The temple, in fact, was quite grand, immense. It was huge. How do we know that? Well, do a little bit of research. There was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. According to Josephus, who lived in the first century, he lived sort of around that very same time, he noted that some of the stones that the disciple mentioned here, he said, Master, see what manner of stones. Josephus noted that some of those stones the disciple mentioned were on the order of 25 cubits long, upwards of 8 cubits thick and 12 cubits wide. Wow. I have no idea how big that might be. Do you? Well, it's generally accepted that a cubit is about a foot and a half. It's about, that's about a cubit. Now let's convert what he just said. That means that some of the stones that the temple was built with, oh boy, are you ready for this? 37 feet long, 12 feet thick, and 18 feet wide. Now just as a reference, if we were to take a tape measure from here to the very top of this sanctuary, that's somewhere around 25, 26, maybe 28 feet. Some of the stones, the individual stones that the temple was built with, 37 feet long. That's pretty grandiose, wouldn't you say? That's pretty immense. That's fantastic. And oh, this disciple was just enamored. He was just thrilled. Look at the building that we have here. Isn't this wonderful? He was so taken with how the temple looked, despite the problems that had just been highlighted, whether by the nature of the questions that were asked of Jesus or by the exposed truth that Jesus used to exhort and to correct the misunderstandings. 
despite the problems that were just talked about. Yeah, but isn't the building great? Oh, it's just a beautiful, that's a place I want to be. Where this becomes the tragic reality is that when those who claim to be Christian are so concerned with their appearance of spirituality, there are some that fill their conversations with, with how much they have given up for the Lord. Do you know what the Lord asked me to do? Let me tell you what the Lord asked me to do. Do you know how much I've given up for this place? I'm going to tell you. You see, there's some Christians or professing Christians that just want to talk about how much they've done for God. Now, there is a course. There is, of course, a difference. When the focus of any particular test, when we have testimony time and we ask, what has God done in your life? And there's many that give testimony that God has done this or that God has done great things. There's a difference when the focus of the testimony remains on what God has done. But we must be very careful when that accomplishment or that great deed becomes something that I have done because God has blessed me to be able to do that. That's dangerous ground. Give God the glory. Not, thank you God that I am not like that. Oh, that was a Pharisee that said that. Oh boy. Who was in the right? The guy that was down on his knees before his, before his God beating his chest said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. We have to be very careful when we give testimony about how great things God is doing through me. No, 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 no. God is God, and God is doing great things. And I am so blessed that God has allowed me to be a part of it. But God's going to accomplish what God needs to accomplish despite and in spite of me. Friends and Christians, God is not moved by seeing our resume. <laughs> well, what have you done for God lately? Let me tell you. You just list all the things that God's had you to do. God's not moved by that. In fact, Jesus states in verse number 2, right here in our text, Jesus answering said unto this disciple, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, appearance of glory and grandeur doesn't mean much. Likewise, the Bible tells us all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. What we do, even in the name of God, shouldn't ever be bragged upon. We should not be boasting because those are works. Yes, maybe God has enabled us to do some great things, but we ought not to be boasting on the works. If we're going to boast, let's boast in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, a sinner, and was raised again and has redeemed me. Praise God that he raised Christ from the dead. Now I said earlier that the title of this message was When Jesus Went Out. Perhaps I could have used something else. Maybe I could have used When Jesus is No Longer In. Well, that sounds like it's the same thing, right? Except the truth is that Jesus does not leave us. God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus said, Lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. God doesn't walk away. 
Jesus doesn't leave us. But the contrary is not necessarily true. What is the contrary? We do, from time to time, walk without God. We do, from time to time, do things leaving Jesus out of it. Sometimes we ask God not to worry about it because I got this, God. Got this covered. It's under control. Ooh. That's leaving God out. Jesus is not in that. When things suddenly go awry, when things suddenly begin to crumble because Jesus is not in, oh, then aren't we so quick. God, how did you let this happen to me? But Jesus wasn't in the temple at that moment. Jesus wasn't in the center of our decisions at that moment. And when Jesus is out, oh, things are going to crumble. Jesus said, seest thou these great buildings? See how great a life God has given to us. See how much learning we've done as a Christian. See how much God has accomplished because I've given myself to God. But when I leave God out and I begin to crumble and people start to see, oh, I thought you were a Christian. <sighs> oh, things begin to crumble. There is not a stone that will not be thrown down. When we leave Jesus out, when we tell God we've got this, we begin to fall apart. We begin to crumble. There is nothing beautiful, nothing grandiose or admirable about the Christian when Jesus is not in it. We just sang the song, little as much when God is in it. When God is in, when Jesus is in, oh, things are going to be intact. Things are going to be held together. The Bible tells us that by him, all things were made, and by him, all things consist. When Jesus is in, things are held together. When Jesus is left out, these great buildings, they'll be destroyed. And that's exactly what Jesus said. It's not our growth. It's not our greatness and the beauty of service that remains or lasts. It is only what is in the temple. It's only Jesus Christ that matters. May our building, may our temple be so ingrained in Jesus Christ that we are never seen as ourselves, but that we are seen as one who is conformed, being conformed, and will continue to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? Pastor, would you close the service? In the adult Sunday school class this morning, I touched on the temple. And uh, the Lord, when he spoke that, had 70 A.D. in mind when the temple would be completely dismantled. Yeah. And all the, well, it was actually set on fire, then it was dismantled so they could take all the gold mm. and all the silver that had melted as a result of the extreme heat. When Peg and I were in Israel, we took an elevator with our group and we went down to what would have been considered the street level of the temple in Jerusalem 
in the day when Christ was alive. We saw the stones. I mean to tell you. Our guy that was with us, he had a couple of the guys. He said, I want you to stand over here. He said, I want you to go over here. He said, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. That stone was so huge. You ask yourself, how could man without the modern day equipment have moved such huge, huge stones to build that temple? But it was not little tiny bricks, not little cinder blocks. They were huge, huge rocks. And uh, we went down a little bit further, we got to see a, a video of how the possibility was that they were able to move such colossal stones. And the sad thing is that Israel's going to try to rebuild again. And they're going to build for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Because it's not in recognition of the Messiah, but hopefully that the Messiah who has already come would come to them. Truth of the matter is, they can already meet and, and uh, be saved by the Messiah who has already come. But historically, it's, it is interesting. As you go through here, you're, you're reminded of the things that we saw, the th things that we were able to see and have a greater appreciation for that country overall. And then I was thinking as you were finishing up there as well, I just lost my thought, I think, when it was... I, I, I can claim 80, so I can get away with it. <laughs> um, but it really is important for us to be praying for the salvation of the Jews today. Because oh, yes. when the rapture occurs, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jews are going to be left behind. They're going to have to deal with the tribulation diagram, which, which was the primary reason of the tribulation was to really deal with the nation of Israel and, and the final blow to Satan as well. So pray for them. It's on our bulletin. It's going to be on our bulletin until something happens, the rapture occurs, and we're no longer putting out the bulletin. But uh, just remind us that we need to continue to pray for the, for the people of, of Israel and encourage the missionaries, praying for those missionaries that are over there ministering to them. It's not an easy task, for sure. Well, Father, we thank you for opportunity to be reminded Lord it was a splendid building and Lord what makes it even more splendid is that they built this building with their hands they did not have the modern day equivalent of the machinery and the technology that we have today but Lord they were able to accomplish that building and Lord, like so many people today we continue to to look at the grandeur Rather than to look at the creator, we look at the things created. And indeed, there's beauty and there's awe in those things. But Lord, I'll be honest with you, as I look at these things, I marvel. And, and I, I still find new excitement and, and, and uh, new energy when I begin to think of what the things you have created and what kind of a mind, what kind of thought processes, what kind of power existed to be able to make these, the intelligence. And Lord, I... I, I really do stand in awe of all that you have done. Lord, thank you for reminding us through your scripture that you are more magnificent than anything that we can see with the human eye. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are. Thank you for redeeming us. Father, give us traveling mercies as we go our separate ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.